I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another Connecting Addicts podcast. Uh, a bit of housekeeping to start with. First of all, I sound like I've got a cold because I've got a cold. I caught it on an aircraft yesterday. I spent 14 hours and 45 minutes on a new Airbus A350. That's a world record for me. I've never been in a plane for that long. I don't want to repeat the experience. Edward Lovett isn't here because he's not very well, but he also has to be skiing. I'm not sure about that, Edward, but I think you are well. So Godspeed, Godspeed, and I hope you do well. But the most important news is that today it was announced that Lilt is being rebranded in the UK. If you watch this in the UK, They've taken one of the great fizzy pop drinks and removed its name. So this whole day has been shattered for me, and I'm going to do my best to get through this podcast because the totally tropical taste is no longer with us. Uh, First up, we're going to start with our imaginary two-car garage. This has already spiralled completely out of control. So I'll read you this missive, which is like a Robert Browning monologue on my phone. Here we go. By Neil Clifford. Our man, I assume he's a man, is a very successful 35-year-old Manchester-based entrepreneur. He sold a stake in his IT consultancy business. He's worked pretty much seven days a week since leaving uni and has always been a massive petrol head. His number one dream has always been to buy his perfect two-car garage. He set himself a budget of £150,000. He doesn't have any kids, doesn't have any dogs. He loves track days. He's just completing his arts course. That's how you train to become a racing driver and get your licence. And he does some Euro driving holidays with his partner uh, during the summer months. So um, let's open. Well, it's yours, Neil, because you've, you because you wrote this, you've thought about it more than us. So go on. Yes. Well, we, we, we all know this guy. He's, uh, he's an avid user of piston heads. He's been planning, he's been planning this two-car garage since he left university. He's worked his arse off. He's been considering all the logical approaches to this for almost 10 years. So it's all going to be about logic, but obviously he wants the best cars and he knows he knows them from his five-star Evo studies. It's going to be two things, pretty obvious things. I'm sure we've all chosen the same cars, actually. The first one will be his sports car. 
Um, he also doesn't want to lose any money. You know, he's shrewd with his finances. He doesn't want any depreciation. Can I ask one question? Am I assuming that he's lived with his mother to accrue this sum of money? He, he's not interested in property. No, no, no. He lives in a loft apartment in central Manchester. He's got a, He's okay. very successful. Yeah, he's very successful. But he doesn't want to lose a pound on these cars. And he doesn't want to break down. So it's difficult because he doesn't. He wants no depreciation and no calling the AA. So it's going to be Honda again. It's going to be a Honda NSX. Um, hopefully the facelift model, although they've gone crazy in price and difficult to find. There's never any on, on Piss in the Heads or Auto Trader or in fact collecting cars, I should mention. So he would go facelift NSX. It's probably almost 100 grand now, maybe more if you can find one. But that would be the car. He'd keep it forever. It'd be buried in it. It would never break down. And it would get massive um, admiration going to, you know, the usual car meets that we, we all go to. The second car, again, would be completely logical. He wants a track day car. There's only one track day car. It's a caterer. He's not going to lose yeah. anybody because yeah. when I wanted to buy a Caterham 20 years ago, they were 25 grand. They're still 25 grand for the same car. So he won't lose any money. He'll probably buy the kit. He'll build it. He'll build it for six months. I don't know which one, whether it's R300 or 400 or 420 or 600. I don't understand the Caterham models anymore. It's somewhere in there. But it's somewhere in there. So it's an NSX facelift and a Caterham R300 in kit form. That's what you would do. Okay. I've got some questions, Neil. Mm. Yeah. My bloke doesn't sound like that. I've got anyway. some questions here. First of all, <laughs> I love I love the spread here. Um, I have to go on record, and this is heresy, is saying that I've always found the NSX disappointing to drive. Um, I just... It hasn't got a diff, so it does a one-tire fire every time you come out of a tight corner. The brakes are made of anchor butter, and the steering was very weird on those facelift cars. However the engine and gearbox are about as good as anything ever made. And you've got a funny feeling that it will outlast any other it vehicle. It's just a gorgeous thing. So I'm, I hope he's not going to be disappointed by some of the dynamic shortcomings of the NSX that aren't widely publicised. My other question is, Caterham, hmm. does he need something to tow it with? Should his other vehicle allow him to tow it? Or is he going to put a bar on the NSX? No, he's going to drive the Caterham to the track day. No. He's going to drive it. He's Once. Yeah, once. <laughs> <laughs> once. Okay. I mean, um, I mean, yeah, no, he's going to drive the Caterham. He's a pretty ballsy guy. He's happy to get wet. He's not stressed about that. He's, you know, as long as he doesn't lose money and as long as he doesn't break down. Okay, well, I think I think you've you've nailed all criteria. Manish, what are you going for? Um, I think he is the Michael Schumacher generation of 35 year old this is the guy he's seen mm. winning week in week out and i think he's always fancied a ferrari and i think exactly as neil said this is a guy who doesn't want to lose a penny in depreciation but he wants a car that he thinks he's michael schumacher in when he buys it and there is only one car that he could do that with and that's the 550 marinello He's going to buy a Ferrari, Ferrari 550 Marinello. Mm. Um, I had terrible schizophrenia about the colour here. I thought if he was getting classy metallic blue with black leather inside, or would he go tan and red? But I think it's a 550 Marinello, because when he gets into that, it's about, I had a quick look, somewhere between, you get a decent one for somewhere between 80 and 110,000 pounds, you know, 90 being a Swedish spot, 55,000 miles, he's going to do some work on it himself. So that is his 
going around Europe with his mm. girlfriend, no dog, car. And I think his track car is going to be a Lotus Elise Sport 240 Final Edition. Ooh, yeah, you. I think yeah. he's going to have. 50 or 60,000 pounds, you can buy yeah. it. So add the two I'm, together, about 150. This is, I love we, that. We've started, very, this is a very strong opening, you two. I have to say, I, mean, I am, there's a lot of man love here. I'm nodding. I'm nodding like a teacher who's just seen his pupils smash a spelling test out of the park. So that little Lotus Elise, what a great car as well. In fact, that excites me more than the Fandango at the moment. Yeah, that is nice. They just weigh nothing and they're little and they're perfectly balanced and they make a great noise and they've just got a six-speed gearbox and it's just a motor racing oh. car, motor racing car. Really, I love it. I almost like uh, Exige Mark One. Ah, indeed. It's a tricky car. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, I, if this guy's 35 and he's been working all God's hours, never been on track before, the first thing he's gonna do with a Mark One Exige is crash it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Very tricky car. I did. Mm. I did, did as well. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. I, first time I drove on a spun it, second time I drove on a spun it. And it's that funny thing where you think, I've caught it, and then sort of the, the caster on the wheel seems to sort of, and it goes the other way. Well, no, the main problem was it had very heavy steering, and you've always lacked a bit in the shoulder department, Mr. C. Did have. So, uh, you know, you just needed to just bulk up a bit, and then you'd be all right. Yeah. Come on, yeah. then let's see your you parent. must look at lap times, though, Chris, at some point, and then we'll yeah. sort of resolve that one. But perhaps that's another time. I think we've got a technical there. Sorry, I think we've got a technical at that point. Sorry. Um, right, off you go, Mr. Cooper, with your two-car garage. Uh, well, I have, I've done this differently. So, I've, first of all, I've been a bit of a girly swap um, because uh, I sat down with my boys and we looked on collecting cars. Right. And we just looked to say, because otherwise you start thinking about what you'd like, whereas if you go on onto the sold bit, there's a sold bit, isn't there? Yeah. You just think, what can I have? And you just see all kinds of stuff. So for the sports car, sort of the track car, we Let found... Let me stop you there before we start. If you wanted a free cap or a jumper off everybody, just give you one. You know that, don't you? It's a gilet. It's a gilet. <laughs> yeah, he, he, there's plenty of swag in the cupboard in the office. But I no, worked really hard for this. And he, couldn't, he couldn't even turn up today. Ooh. Ooh. What's Ooh. that? That is... It's a 1972 RSR iRock replica. Okay. It's sold for 68K yeah. last October. It's got 3.5 super duper beautiful open trumpets on the engine, uh, 385 horsepower. Uh, it's done 2,000 miles since it was completely built. It just looks the complete. It's road registered. You can take it on the road, take it on a track. If you really wanted to, you could go to Europe in it. But I just thought, I, why wouldn't you? Why yeah. wouldn't you have that? You'd never think of that unless you weren't and look at it. So sports car that because it's just it's just brilliant. Um, I can't get away from an estate. I know he hasn't got family and a dog, but there was a 2019 E63S monkey. You and I really like this. Oh, that's 2019 E63S, 3,600 miles. 64k it's a good car. so i've got three cars i've got three cars in my two-car garage because i had ten thousand pounds left over <laughs> and then we found a 1994 bmw 840 ci oh um, <laughs> not very i won't show you the photograph it's not a very good printout 
but it was that whatever that Zinnabar red, Zinnabar red. Yeah. Um, 840, 70,000, 65,000 miles, uh, 10,500. It's sold, actually, it's sold today. Oh. Yeah. We're so, so sold yesterday how are, uh, for 10,500. How are it? Have you done a pixel check on that dashboard? It's a complicated car, the H series. We need to discuss that. At yeah, some it's point. a very, very. I, I love it. Right, okay. I, I feel like that moment in with Nan and I when they sit down for the Sunday lunch after they've cooked the lamb, and Monty yeah. says, "My boys, my boys," because this is just exceptional work. And I fear that in bringing up the rear, that's not a Monty joke. I'm um, I'm now going to disappoint you all by by offering something a bit mundane. So my, I've agonised. I've done. I've gone method. I know Neil does. He goes method to do these things. He actually lives. He lives these people's lives for a week. And I've done the same thing for about fifteen minutes this morning. Um, and uh, I have reached the conclusion that this guy, he's a piston header. He's got. He's 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 had to he's had to think about whether he was going to have a personalised number plate that was his piston head call sign on the car you know he's that into the subject and uh, he's got an at with his with his instagram on the window sticker on his current car so he loves the community thing but he also views motor cars as a way of presenting who he is to the world and the choices he makes and what that says about him and this is a conservative man who saved his pennies and he wants to demonstrate to people that he's flamboyant so i do think he looked at a 550 but i think he went and drove it and then he read the buyer's guide and he thought if this shits itself i can't do it and he's spoken to his mates and he's gone on the forums and he's he's direct messaged me on Instagram and I didn't reply. And I'm sorry, but I was busy. And uh, and it's, it's terrible. And he's he's gone out and he's promised himself he's not going to buy GT3 because that's what everyone does. <clears throat> Made the mistake of driving. Yeah. Beautiful, Guards Red, Club Sport, 996, Gen 2, GT3, Ooh. the one. And he's gone... Oh, I've got, I've got yeah. and he's, he's that's a to, winner. He's eighty grand. To, yeah, and he's gone. Look, no, it, you know, it's knocking on for hundred. It's a lovely. It's a really, really good one. Let's get him up the top here. He wanted the best, and it's a stunner. Uh, compression checks good. Everything's wonderful. So he's got that. He also does. He does want something to. He, like, now and again, likes a bit of surfing. He's thought about mountain biking. It's an estate car. It has to be an estate. He's from car. Manchester. Can you surf in Manchester? <laughs> yeah, they've got. Um, they've got actually, North Wales. They've got one of those wave things up there. Anyhow, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Don't spoil the narrative. If you'd applied this to Blade Runner, they'd have made the bloody film, would they? Jesus, man. Right. Keep going. I would say it's a used B7 RS4 because I know it's conventional. He's ended up with double German. This is his chance to show to people that he was oh, winter. But he, but he's ended up with two German cars that are that are considered to be quite boring. But fundamentally, he goes to sleep at night satisfied and not worried. There you go. That's, that's my view on it. Uh, that's actually irritating. That's a B7 RS4, and yeah, estate. It's yes, yeah, estate. Yeah, yeah. He gets a surfboard on the top. By the way, the yeah. um, actual line from Widnell and I is. Perhaps we three are the last vestiges of beauty. Yes, yes. No, but he does have that. Yes, but before that, he says, my boys, my boys. But, but the other bit you're conflating with when they're walking along and they're just, and they're framed by that bit of wood. And he starts talking about Du Lantan. It's, it's a, a Baudelaire poem, isn't it? There we go. Everyone thinks we're completely mad now. Right, I'm going to go back to, to the group so I can work out exactly what we're doing first on our 
um, our second on our agenda. Right, company cars, people. Now, I have to put my hands up here and say my interpretation of company cars is probably quite different to some of yours. I have had company cars, um, but they, they came about in a weird way, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Chris Cooper, tell us about your company car experiences. So, um, so company cars is a bit of a dying thing, really, isn't it? Mm, because sadly. Um, they appeared in the 70s. They became quite big in the 70s when the top rate of tax was 83% or whatever it was. And employers were trying to find ways of giving their employees benefits in kind at one salary. So company cars kind of appeared. Um, so my first company car was in 1990. Uh, when I worked for Deloitte, it was two shots then, but Deloitte's now as a management consultant, a young pup management consultant, everybody had a 205 GTI 1.9 as a company car, uh, like Neil did. Yep. Everybody had one. And I thought, do you know what? Rear-wheel drive is disappearing. I could always have a front-wheel drive car. I want something different. So I had, please don't, I'm almost too embarrassed to say this. I had a facelift Mark 1 MR2 <laughs> in red. It wasn't the T-bar because couldn't. That, the, the scheme didn't go that far. So I had the 1.6 litre, 123 horsepower, rev to 7,700 RPM. Was it good? Um, I thought I was cool. Right? So I didn't spin it the first day I had it. I spun it the first week I had it because it's obviously mid-engine and I'd only driven front-wheel drive cars, uh, front-engine, front-wheel drive cars. So somewhere in May, somewhere on the motorways around Mesa where I was living at the time, I thought, I'll just try a bit. And it's sort of like, why am I pointing back the way I've just come? That's extraordinary. So I, had good that, I had good reviews, those cars. I remember the review. The lovely car. Performance, that... performance car. Yeah, yeah. it was, um, I really liked it. I tried, I remember the first time we had some sort of big off-site conference beginning of that year. And one of my colleagues, uh, Heather, who was a bit older than me, she just joined the firm a bit. And she had a white MR2. And we're at one of those hotels at the NEC. And then, you know, that big roundabout on the M40, whatever it is. Yeah. She said, would I should drive it? So I drove it like a total around this roundabout, just sliding everywhere. I think it was one, but I thought, I've got to have one of these. So I had, I had that for three years. And then my second company car was a Mark II MR2. Interesting. Box, same so colour, same the, road. You the famous car magazine cover where they took 20 frames off the light box. They had a when we used to use that that uh, what was wasn't film what do they call it transparency film wasn't it and you put it on the light yeah. box and they took twenty frames of an MR two spinning and they said and the headline was how Toyota ruined the MR two that's right yeah so, so I, I, I know that was that was that the case or not I know that's true I tell you how I can tell you how I know that's true because one of the things obviously you were never allowed to do was take your company car on a track day. So obviously I took my company cars on track days and I was at Brian's Hatch in 94, um, Grand Prix circuit in my Mark II, MR2, going down, back my, my twin brother, some of you know my twin brother, and he was, I was standing on the infield watching him go over Paddock Hill, that's a lovely car that, isn't it? As he went over the brown Paddock Hill, it just swapped ends and did two complete 360s down the hill, flat spotted the tyres. And when I handed the car back with these flat spots, I tried everything to get them like, like doing donuts and stuff. Couldn't get rid of the flat, flat spot. Couldn't own up to why all four tyres were flat spot until I hand, handed it back. And the guy who took it came back half an hour later and said, all the tyres are flat spotted. So 
I'm sorry, whoever you were, that chat all those years ago, that's why the tiles were flat spotted. I took my company car and tried it. Don't do this at home. Neil Clifford, no. tell us about, give us a company car story. <sighs> you know, the company car for me was by far the biggest ever career event that took place in my life. It I, I, be... I think that, that's the case for everyone, isn't it? In, in, yes, in, it is. Of our generation, it was the way that you expressed yourself. It was the, it was yeah. the choice was agonizing. Yeah, yeah, it was it was nothing has ever beaten that. You know, I might be called a director now, I might earn more money. It's nowhere near as good as being handed the company car list by the HR yes. department in 1989 and being told you are grade five. But also, if you you can pay more on direct debit and go up a level to grade yeah, four, I did that. It was just fucking magnificent. Yeah, yeah. Was, there's no better. There's no better day that in my life. So I ordered, I ordered a because I had, I had one before when I got this sort of poncy job and I had that one point nine, but that was someone else's. They'd been made redundant. It was it was used. That was the one point nine, a Renault Five Turbo GT Raider edition. Oh, which was the, you know, the navy, the navy blue car with yeah. the navy blue wheels. Picked it up from the Renault dealership in Portsmouth, which is you know where I'm from and where I was living at the time. I was the dog's bollocks. There's nothing that's because uh, it's fast that car. It I'm, was, I had you know, one. Yeah. It's so fragile, you know, so bloody fragile. And I was the problem is I was on twenty grand or something and had a company car, so it was disproportionate. I had this flashy car and no money, basically. Yeah. And I had, because I wasn't at the level where I got a petrol card, which was another position oh, in the in the company. That's management. Yeah. I didn't have the petrol card, just the car. I didn't have the money to put the petrol in it. So my my good friend um, Paul Sweetenham, again I mentioned Paul Sweetenham again. He was another level. He was a grade five. He had a petrol card. So I used to have to travel around with him for him to fill out my car of petrol because I was, you know, I had an MBNA gold card on 39% APR with five grand on it. So I had no access. I'd get paid and I was still overdrawn. I was completely skinned, but I had this fucking great car, but I couldn't afford to do the expenses. So I had to travel around with him for him to fill it up. But it was just a mega, mega experience never to be beaten frankly and i'm I, i'm sad for the current younger people that they they don't have that yeah, it's gone. i mean what is the excitement now that you can work from two days from home instead of one or something yeah probably yeah, yeah. and I, I i never had it but i always remember seeing my friends when they got the list even the ones that weren't that this, this is key even the ones that didn't like cars that much were captivated by it and they'd research and actually by by association they massively helped my trade because at least once every two years, everyone would go out and buy all the car magazines to do their research, wouldn't they, on the, on the car they might get. Yeah. They probably gave another 100,000 sales over that period. But there were so many cool Japanese cars on the list. I yeah. mean, I, I, I'm of the belief you can't really love a Japanese car. You can only admire it, frankly. I love my MR2. But there was the Celica GT4. Yeah. The Supra. There was the 200 SX these fantastic cars the mitsubishi whatever 3000 gt that yeah, sticks yeah yeah there was all all that on the list but i sort of went i went what's the fastest north to 60 that i can <laughs> you know basically north 60 
138 miles an hour in a Renault 5 turbo. I mean, I was, I was, I made it basically. Manish, have you ever um, had a car? No. So sadly, you know, um, medical school to NHS. Um, you don't get company cars in the NHS, but I have a teeny tiny um, company car story. I um, I took a year off before university and um, I was looking for a job before I travel, like many people did. So this is um, 85 going into 86. And um, the Southern Electricity Board had a job for somebody who wanted to work in their transport department, had to be computer literate. Now, very sad part of my portfolio is I used to write video games I, mean, I was so nerdy wow. I did double maths physics and chemistry with an emphasis on writing video games I mean I used to just love writing video games so I thought I'll apply for this job I put a suit on and I got this job and the job the reason why they chose me for this job was because I had to work with the computer and the things I had to do with the computer would track all the mileage of all the company cards, no. license all the company cards, but also do the insurance claims for all the company cards. Oh. And it was great. I mean, it's the amount of data I had. So this is the Southern Board in Basingstoke. But um, the other bit of access I had was to the salaries of everybody who worked at the Southern Electricity. Because you'd, you'd have everything because the salaries patched onto which company cars they could get. Brilliant. And so I had to let them know. So I was the guy at the end of the computer who said to you, here's your list of potential company cars because you're at grade whatever. And the highest paid man in October 1985 at the Southern Electricity Board that I had access to his salary for, he was one of the kind of assistant managers, was £19,155 a year. Yeah. Wow. And he had a Ford Granada, three liter, dark green with oh. velour. And blue. that was his company's car. Yes, that was nice. Nice. And I had to tax it. I had to go out, get the, you know, get the disc and complete its mileage every week. And I used to send him his petrol allowance, you know, to put that all into the computer. It was a job of immense power. I felt I had a fleet of company cars. I had, a, I had a mate whose dad had exactly that car, the Mark I Granada, three-litre gear. In green. Green. The, in green. And he used to yeah. basically buy out-of-date Mr. Kipling's cakes from the pig farmers because, obviously, Kipling sold them to the pig farmers in Portsmouth and then would sell them on Portsmouth Market for, like, 100% markup, these mouldy <laughs> cakes. But he had the coolest car in Portsmouth, basically, this Granada. And it and had a mobile phone with the roundy dialy thing. This was 80, 85, 86 when I left school. A phone inside a Granada Mark 1 three-litre gear. What, is that a bit like Bodie and Doylin? Basically, yeah. It's a Sweeney. Sweeney, Sweeney, Sweeney. Yes. Yeah, well, and the, whatever they were called. The, the lad, yeah. there's a lad that works in the garage next to one of my lockups who's got one on the road, dailies it. It's it's just one of the it's one of the great car shapes. It's so well proportioned, even now when you look at it. it it's is. a great looking car. The Mark One. Yeah. yeah, the Mark One. I mean the, the, the bar of soap one afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so so Luke, have you seen, but just on a quick aside, so the, the Sweeney 2, I have to recommend this movie, okay? Written by Troy Kennedy Martin, probably the funniest caper film ever. And um and DS Regan gets appointed a very, very upper class driver. That's his driver. Yes. Do you remember that? And he and I the guy's do. a vegetarian. I mean, you, you've never seen that's him. Right. So God, that's a really so good I'll look he at that. Leans into, yeah. He literally yeah, yeah. leans into his glove compartment to go and get something to eat. 
And he says, what's that? He goes, well, I think it's a carrot, sir. He says, what are you doing with the carrot? Well, that's my lunch, sir. And he puts up with this for a while. He goes, yeah, we have Mars bars. Tomorrow, I want to see that full of am sandwiches, chocolate bars, and a cup (laughs) of coffee. No one to see it. You've got to see it. And some villains. And some villains. um... Martin did, because he also did Z cars. He had a real car thing. He obviously did famously. He wrote um, the Italian job. Italian job, exactly. No, um, genius. genius. Brilliant, brilliant car. He very sadly died quite young. And he did, he also wrote Edge of Darkness, didn't he, as well? Yes. But yes very great, great car, great car pedigree. Yes. So you, Chris, you were basically writing and doing the tests almost for these cars that we were dreaming yeah. about. Right? But I did have a company car experience and it's, it's a, Reasonable, reasonably amusing anecdote. It doesn't take long, so I'll share it with you. So I started at Haymarket Publishing as a junior road tester, salary twelve thousand pounds in nineteen ninety eight, which really that was not enough to live off in London. Um, and anyhow, and it was tax at source. I didn't even understand how tax worked. So my first complete month of working at Autocar, I thought I was going to get a grand. It didn't even occur to me that I that the, the exchequer would want some of that to pay for pavements and um, other stuff because I was a proper fuckwit. And, uh, and, I, and my payslip came through and it said 611 pounds. 611, my rent was 500 quid and it said 611 pounds. And I thought, right, I really don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. So I spoke to, I think I spoke to Steve Sutcliffe and went, well, how does this work? He went, well, you've got to pay your tax. I went, oh yeah, of course, yeah, tax. Yeah, I knew all about that. And um, and he and I went, but it still doesn't make sense because I'm pay, at that point a lower rate of taxpayer was about twenty two percent or something. It was it was very low. National insurance hadn't been ramped up. Anyhow, what I saw at the bottom was company car tax allowance. Ooh. So what had happened was almost to the month that I joined. Before that, every journalist that was PAY snuck under the radar. It was basically a the, it wasn't a benefit in kind. You just drove the test cars. They came in and left. No one gave a shit. The revenue knew it was not, it meant nothing but we'd recently had a change of government and a change of code if you remember in 97 yeah mr blair rolled in and the company i worked for was owned by a man called mr Hesseltine. and <laughs> they just came after him and no other car magazines no other car media group had ever paid car tax for the next five years it was just haymarket we got hammered politically just got nailed but wow. they they did the calculation initially on a mercedes to C220, there was the calculation, and we lobbied hard. And I, was, I wrote part of the document um, for it to be a Ford KA, and they did agree in the end. But even so, 611 quid, couldn't live off it, absolute shambles. That was an unriveting story. Let's move on. Okay, lads, this is the big one for me. This year... Oh, no. I, Mr Clifford, don't say anything until I've got this first bit out. Lewis or George? Who's it going to be? I'm not talking about championship. Who's going to outpoint who this year? Manish, off you go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think it'll come down to the car. If the car is a stunner and is in with a chance of a sniff of the championship, I don't think George will see Lewis for dust because I think Lewis will be highly, highly, highly motivated. And if you just look at drivers through their careers, you know, they want to qualify well, then they want to make it to the podium, then they want to win races, then they want to win championships. Lewis is on the threshold of maybe winning his eighth. And I think if it's even 51-49, the difference between them in terms of talent and output, I think you can bet your bottom dollar Mercedes will be favouring Lewis because having Lewis at the age of 37 winning his magic eighth, sorry, Neil, <laughs> winning his eighth is going to be the most important thing for Mercedes. So I think motivationally, he can do it. He can do it in terms of his ability and I think Mercedes will get behind him. If, comma, on the other hand, the Mercedes is a bit of an also around this year, I guess anything is possible then I just don't see Lewis wanting to wake up and push a dog that hard. And I think George has got everything to gain from that, just as he did last year. So that, that's what I think. I think Lewis, no doubt about it, if the car's decent. I think it'll be closer. I think it'll be closer. So I'm reading something that Karun Chantuk wrote, uh, turn of the year, and Lewis did turn up a bit more last year when the car got better. Um, but in quality from Spa onwards, so Lewis out-qualified George 7-2 after Spa, but the average dry weather quality difference was only about half a hundredth, 0. 0.057 seconds. Very, very close. And right at the end of the, obviously, Brazil, probably Abu Dhabi as well. I mean, George was, I mean, Karun reckoned that he was his number two driver for the whole year. And I think that's right. I mean, I would have put George number two after Max last year. I don't get the sort of I, I've not I just don't have the confidence and feeling that Charles is gonna it is ever gonna really be a Max or a Lewis rival. Um I think you're right though, Mish. I, I think you're right, Manish. If the car is really, really there, I think he probably will win. Uh, and I think Mercedes, even though they're very, very even-handed, um would probably want him to win. Um and I think they're different, they are still different, they're not like Nico and Lewis were seven years ago. Um, although this is George's fifth season. So if the car is really, really good, I think it will be the most interesting pairing of the year because I do think George is really, really quick. And he's quite confident. He's played a very good game so far. There are loads of times he could have chucked it around last year, had that quite dodgy bit around Singapore and, and, and US and Mexico, away from made a few mistakes, but then put it right again. He's the real deal. Um, but yeah, I think if the car is there, you'd have to bet an awful lot on Lewis not getting it. I think he'd get it. Can I just turn us back? Can I turn us back a year? So they launched last year's car. You guys will know what it's called. I, I don't know the designation. W13 last year. Funny that, yeah. Had the uh, that shrink wrap sense of it literally being a 
a small car that's just wrapped in cling film and they've not got much else with it. It was an amazing looking vehicle. I heard, and um, um, this might be urban myth, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I heard that part of the reason why Lewis was so far off the pace at the beginning of the season was he he was sacrificial. He was trying quite crazy setups to try and un unlock this car. And they, they didn't want to charge George with that because he was new to the team and inexperienced. So quite often, mm. Lewis was changing stuff as, as, as late as he could before Park Ferme, before going into the race. They were changing stuff. The car was, was basically like he turned up on Thursday. I think that I can believe that's the case. I've, I've heard a slightly different version of that, which was that right at the beginning of the year, George was just naturally more comfortable with it. Because he'd be driving a Williams. I mean, he must have. So I think Lewis actively decided, I'm not happy with it. And he clearly was less happy with the car. So he actively decided, let's try some different things. How bad can this car be? So I think at the first part of the year, I think Lewis was, from what I've read, was slightly less comfortable, tried more dramatic things. I don't think it was an active case from Mercedes saying, right, we're in the poo. Lewis, you're the experienced driver. Take one for the team. George, get what you can about it. But Lewis, you're going to try it. F1. You know, you know, to, you know, Toto did allude to that in a press conference or in, in an interview last year, that, that they, were, they, were, they were using Lewis for more extreme... I wonder whether that was just protecting Lewis. Yeah. So, who knows? But yeah, I think it would be fun this year. And there were some big rumours, weren't there, in, in Bahrain... The year before when George was driving you know kind of with his with the toe of his shoe cut off because he was so tall yeah but you know that um Lewis was really 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 absolutely freaked out by George's performance that you know yeah. there were even rumors saying oh my god I've got no job next year this guy has shown just how brilliant he is I've, I'm, I'm with you Chris um in the sense that I think George is for, for sure he's the real deal but I think, as, as I say, just looking at Lewis, he's been racing since 2007. Yeah. So we're about to go into, what, season 16, aren't we? And um, that's a long time to be racing at the very, very sharp end of Formula One. And I think you do it at this level because you really want to establish something completely new about yourself. And yeah. that's, that's all I would say that, you know, motivationally, and I think motivation is a huge thing in getting a car right. Yeah. I would say motivationally, this is all about how good that Mercedes is. I think if the Mercedes is good, as I said, I, it, would be, I'd, it would be really amazing to see a brilliant Mercedes with a massive dogfight between the two of them. I and mean, that yeah. really would be amazing. If it really is rat-a-tat-tat. -tat. I, I think we'll see a lot more of that this year than last year. Because I do think, I, I bumped into James Allison at an event in the middle of the year, last year. And I said to him, so this is really boring to ask you this because everyone asks you this, but what's the problem with the car? He said, generally, if we knew that, we'd be fixing it and kind of think we know roughly where it is. Um, and, and we'll get there. Um, he was, you know, I think like a lot of the lead engineers, very scathing about the rule set, which is, you know, it's tending everybody into this point where there's no ride height, stiffest car in the world. There, it's a backward step in terms of the rule set. I think, don't think anybody was a big fan of it. Um, but this year, they must naturally have gone forward. I think all of the all of the the mood music is they've gone forward. Um, I mean, Lewis is. I do think he's. I, I watched some of the 07 season where, you know, I, I think he drove better in 07 than 08. In some respects, I wish he'd won 07 and Felipe had won 08 because that would have been such a wonderful story, particularly that last race. In 07, he really should have won. I mean, I know you, Monkey and I talked about at the time that race in Brazil when 
suddenly mysteriously the car stopped and yeah. managed to close your ears for a minute monkey and i were we were racing in germany the weekend after we said there's a there's a there's a, there's a short man in a white shirt with a white cat on his, on his lap <laughs> he made but, that happen but can i just say that i did actually ask bernie that I said, i've met so many people who think you've got a bernie button and whenever you think motor racing gets boring, you press the Bernie button. We saw that. And suddenly it all gets really exciting. He said, oh, bollocks. You know, he said... He said that because what he, what, he, what he means is it's not a button, it's a lever. He works on technicalities, but he goes, no, it's not a button, it's a lever. Listen, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it was 23 seconds. Something happened. All the gears weren't. They did some kind of reset. All the gears came back and suddenly Lewis came exactly where he needed to come not to quite win the championship. You're exactly. Right. <laughs> I rest my case. Yeah. Yeah. I, think it will be, I think it will be Lewis this year. <clears throat> I think he'll be so motivated. Obviously, you're right, Manish. It's all about the car probably. But I think this is his year. I think this is his last year really to bloody get the eight. I hope he gets the eight, obviously. Um, I think this is his, what was it, loud as 84 or something is, you know, this is his last chance to be that top of the tree in the whole sport. And I think he was going to, he's going to do every single bit of sweat and tears to do it. You know, he's a guy that doesn't, I'm not technically knowledgeable on the sport as you guys, but he doesn't make many mistakes, right? He's not now. He's not now. He's a bloody... Brilliant. That's a really that's a really salient point, and I wanted just that's what I wanted to say as well. The if you if you've done a bit of racing, what you the the reason why you really admire Formula One drivers is they've got this thing that is is designed to make you make a mistake. It's got it's got far too much power, um, and, and it's it's a, it's a monster. You can't see out of it, and they're huge. I was in, I was with one last week when I was doing a Valkyrie drive. I mean, they're just so big. How they I think how they drive them the way they do at close quarters, I do not know. And a modern F one driver is defined by how few mistakes they make. It's a given that they're very quick, that they wouldn't be in the formula unless they were super, super quick. But the great ones somehow find a way. They have they, they create their own luck. You know, the, when they're on top of their form, they get luckier and luckier. That always happens. But it, it the one thing we've not seen from George is him under consistent pressure. Because he's always, he's had his first year at Mercedes where he was the new kid and he wowed everyone. But I think the fact the car was shit took the pressure off him during the year, because he just, yeah. all he could do was drag the best out of the car. But yeah. if they turn up with something a bit spiky this year, and he's got Lewis, it's going to be fascinating to see how he deals with sustained pressure from Lewis in, in a different way. When the, because pressure of coming fifth or sixth means bugger all to anyone. But to come first or second, and you're fighting for a championship, and I suspect, I think he's, he'll handle the pressure. I think he's going, to, he's going to be Lewis's biggest problem all year. Because yeah. I agree yeah. with Chris, he is the real deal. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's good. And I, you know, I like him. He's British. He's, you know, I don't have the sort of Max problem that the George, George is, I'm on George's side. He's a great protégé. He's a great guy to take over. But, you know, we all need, we all need Lewis to get eighth, right? <laughs> we got there. The Lewis. Can I, can right, I just say gonna, that, that there was just one thing that um, Neil said, which I think may well be the case this year. And it would be very interesting if it was the case. It's talking about could this be like Lauda's 84? Mm. And the idea, and the thing about Nicky Lauda in 84 was he was out qualified by Alain Prost, and Alain Prost won more races, but he won the championship. And that would be, I mean, that would be such a weird way yeah. if Lewis won it like that. 
if you know if he wasn't quite as quick and he didn't win as many races the yeah. But he came out as champion. That would be that would be kind of weird. Well, I watched it last night. There's an amazing documentary. I don't know if you've heard of it called Lucky <laughs> um, about Bernie Eccleston. You must watch it. Some dis- dis- it. discovery it club. It's free. You don't have to pay. Anything. Okay, good. And it's it's. I watched it last night. That's it. The eighty-four and and Lauda just didn't make mistakes. He's just you know he's a metronome. And I think I think this is similar. I think he will. He will win it via l- less mistakes. Okay. Um, we, that can go on. And we'll obviously have plenty more F1 chat yeah. next week. So, Chris Cooper, for the last three weeks, has been badgering us with a bet noir he has <laughs> about a particular type of classic car that is emerging on the scene quickly. This is the electric car that's had its gizzards ripped out. It has been eviscerated. It's been pulled apart. And it has been, eviscerated is the wrong word, isn't it? That's your skin coming off. It's had a hysterectomy. It's had everything pulled out of it. Yeah. And then electric gizzards go in. It's the EV converted classic car. Your soapbox is underneath your feet. Take two steps onto it and tell us why you hate the EV converted classic car. Well, I mean, where do you start? So I, mean, I discussed it with both my boys and they said it better than me. And Cameron said to me, he said, it's the worst thing to ever happen to the automotive world. It's worse than communism. Even communism gave us the Lada Neva, and that's got more character and is more endearing than some electrically butchered classic car. Just no, no. I mean, you know, we, we talked about electric cars before. There is definitely a place for them. I have an electric car. There is, you know, even today, even Rolls-Royce said today, after 2030, no more V12. Everything from 2030 will be pure EV. And Ford has clearly said today we're shutting down more facilities in the UK because the dash for EV is going, needs to go faster and faster. This is not a Luddite view. Most classic cars do 500 miles a year, 1500 miles a year. They produce no emissions whatsoever. It's a bit like saying you've got an old family pet, an old dog to say, oh, it's not really going to last very long, is it? So tell you what, I'm going to. Take the take the heart, literally take the heart out of my pet dog. I'm going to put some animatronics in it so it lasts a bit longer. No, put the classic oh, car God, down. That's just awful. If you're a dog lover, that is just, it's just awful. My, my dog's just done a bolt for the door. It's just, it's like, it's just no. It's just, it's not. I love EVs, but you know who who would put an EV in a classic Mini or? You know, I've seen Land Rovers, you know, there's the worst though, the worst though is this Tesla Rossa. I'm sure they're lovely people, I'm sure. But there are people who are taking engines out of Tesla Rossas and putting Tesla drivetrains in them. It's called the Tesla Rossa. That's shocking. I mean, we can't mention the famous wedding here, can we? Yeah, we can. Of course we should. Yeah, yeah, you can. You know, you yeah. I mean, surely, even if you uh, clearly we're petrol heads, we love, uh, we're not massive lovers of electric cars, but surely it's bad for the environment. Surely there's a logical thing that you're, you know, you're, you're digging all this stuff out of the ground in Africa, you're shipping it here. Surely it's genuinely, someone should do the maths before people are running around sticking electric yeah. motors in 911s and Land Rovers and saying how wonderful it is for the planet. It's much worse for the planet, surely. Yeah. It just makes sense. 
It doesn't make sense. I'll tell you on a practical level. I've, I've, I've driven more of these things than you have, probably. And without exception, I say that guardedly, that they are they're really disappointing because they they do they do something that you don't need from an old car. They become very, very fast. And no one needs yeah. a no one needs a trans spitfire, which is one, one that I put together for a <laughs> No one needs a trans spitfire that can that has 450 horsepower. That's what I ended up with. And um and it, it's 450, I think it had at the back wheels. We had to ramp it back. It, it no was, shit. I, I kept the gearbox, we put a gearbox in it, and it when you had it in, so you had the same torque throughout all the gears, it was just a lever you moved around for the sake of it. It didn't do anything really. But it would it would spit it would spool up at 80 miles an hour on the motorway and then just try and spit you off. So you you give something old a performance it doesn't need. Okay. Correct. But what you also do, and this is why I'm I'm not as anti-electric car as some. I I can see a place for them. No, and, I find, and I find not. some of the engineering, I find some of the engineering that that has come about through their genesis fascinating. And I also really admire some of the byproducts. The ultimate byproduct of electric cars for me is a strange one, is NVH, noise, vibration, yeah. Yeah. so basically when you've got Definitely a gearbox engine rattling around in the car, it covers off so many base noises that you don't, you don't know, it hides them, it, it, it's basically a, a, a way of having a cloak over screws and stuff that rattle around, in an electric car you cannot do that, so you have to screw them together even better, yeah. everything has to be damped, nothing can touch or rub, if you take the engine out of a classic car and you put an EV powertrain in it, you oh, would not yeah. believe the panoply of awful noises that suddenly <laughs> appear. Everything is like a dying rodent. It's just squeaking, scraping. You know when you hear a vixen being rogered at night? They all sound like that. It's just, yeah. it's just horrific. I've and often I, thought I, it sounds exactly like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's, just, it's just not it, a good place it, to it, it, it reminds me of those days, Neil, you and I all just remember this, where we had cars that did break down and you had to be towed off the motorway by your dad or your mate. And you suddenly realize, crikey, my car sounds dreadful. That's what EV classics would sound like. It sounds like you've been towed off the motorway because your car's died. Yes. Uh, but I'll give you one, one exception. So I did a film. It must have been a broadcast. I don't watch Top Gear because I can't stand the way I sound or look or do anything, actually. Um, but there was a, uh, uh, we, had, we had a load of these things. And Paddy drove a short wheelbase. I think it was like an 88 or something inch. Uh, series one Land Rover that had yes. a full Tesla power pack in it. And it it on one of the runs, one acceleration run, the front wheels came off the ground. <laughs> I have to say there was something the idea of the idea of having that down by the beach in on the north coast of Cornwall, you know, there's no great joy in having in, in, in the original engine in in a in a series one Land Rover of that type. It's not a V8. So I yeah, can yeah, see true. that swap might make sense. But the idea of taking the powertrain out of a 964 um, uh, you know, taking a Metzger flat six out of a car to put in an electric motor, just I don't, I, I it don't get be, it. should be illegal. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, you know, what, 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 which plastic surgery would you like to see performed on Marlena Dietrich or on, uh, That's a good analogy. you know, or on, on Elizabeth Taylor? I mean, what bit of those That's a really doesn't analogy. work for you? Yeah. You know, what would you like to see? Was James Dean's, were they, were his ears too big? You know, it's just, it, it just makes no sense i'm not sure and i'm not even though there was one at the wedding and, and you know there's been quite a bit of clever placement i don't think it's catching on i, I you know i respect the people that have set up a business to do this and i and i yeah. do wish, i wish them the best but i just don't think i think people that want to buy those cars have enough of an understanding that those vehicles have a soul 
they really do and that's soul you know the beating heart of the vehicle such a cliche is the engine and, and it doesn't matter if it's it, it has to be a really crap engine for it to spoil the experience in an old car it pretty much has to be a trabant or a series one land rover but anything else even even a triumph spitfire you know even yeah, if I know, yeah. I just, and I do think that the, the way that you interact with that internal combustion engine is so important. So I don't know, it's really strange. It's, I think it's, people I'm, won't admit, though, that, that people won't admit that it's bad for the planet. That's the, that's yeah. the thing. A, you can buy the best 964 in the world for 80 grand, and then the electric one's 325,000 or something absolutely ridiculous. But also, it's worse for the planet. Even after, you know, I've got three kids. I have to try to be sensible at some point in my life. Therefore, you know, out of interest, what we all have to be conscious of emissions, but surely it's much worse. But what do they do with the engines that they rip out? That's what I wondered. I mean, they, what, do what they do, do is they all dress up like the Spanish Inquisition from Monty Python and they burn them. They have a ritual where they burn these horrible engines to get rid of them. Uh, but obviously, they emit. Some emissions. Oh, they'd they be on eBay. They'd be on eBay for twenty Coffee grand. Table. Yeah, they'd be on. They'd be selling them for sure. So, do you know what? If this is Room One Hundred and One, I've been now saying to Chris Cooper, yeah, that could go in the bin because I've driven. I was open-minded when I first drove, when I first drove some of them. I was a bit blown away by the speed, but then I quickly realised that the, the the process of making the rest of the car handle the speed would be uneconomical. So yeah. you couldn't get big enough brakes behind the little wheels to stop the bloody thing. The tires were they just they were dangerously fast. And then, it, and then I was just in this trance pit park for three days and the noises it made. I mean, it was horrific. So, so yeah, that. you can have that. Okay, now, we need to help. To end, to, to end um, I thought we should just make some music suggestions. You can go down any route you want, but I think we, we want to just provide you chaps and chapesses if you're sitting down just with a couple of tunes that you might want to plug into your car. So I'll kick off by saying this last week, I've been uh, mostly jet lagged. Not feeling great. I've, I've been in Hong Kong and Bahrain in the space of nine days. Massive place drop. There you go. So interesting. Um, and I've, I've had a couple of tunes on in the car that when I wake up in the morning, they just make me feel better. So try these, all right? I've started off. I've got a little playlist. Just just six six tunes for you. Bit of Stevie to start with. I'll start with Do I Do? Because that's just a lovely tune. It just warms my heart, Do I Do? I just It's got great rhythm and I've, I've always smiled. Warm, little cockle warmer. Then I go straight to For Once in My Life because that is joyous, but also has the ability to make me cry because it is such a beautiful song. Um, then I want to just switch it up a bit. So I've been doing a bit of Lenny Kravitz always on the run because I just, Ooh. somehow that just, that just, that gets me going. Um, I'm, I'm a massive Jimmy Require fan. Um, uh, you know, Cars on the Table, I've, I've met him a few times, but I, and I Neil's a mate of his, but I, honestly, I'm a huge fan. But he did a song called Cloud Nine a few years ago which is a belting, it's a belting track that no one really knows about. So go and listen to that on Spotify and watch the video oh where he's, he's slagging about in a beautiful Mercedes as well. But Cloud9 is, is a great tune. And then to end it, when I arrive at the meeting, I think In Between Days by The Cure is just reminds me of my childhood and it's uh, and it's just a, another feel-good song. So if you, if you put those on your hi-fi in the next seven days, I guarantee each one of them will improve the journey you're on. Good <laughs> Right. Well, we, we music in cars. It probably is the other amazing thing about cars, isn't it? It's the place you listen to music. It's yeah. your third space in your life. You've got the home. You've got work, and in the middle and at weekends, you've got this car. And the car is the best place to listen to music. 
ideally, and I'm a bit of a 90s boy, really, on a CD. CDs sounded so much better, yeah. better than Spotify, Apple Pay, bollocks, frankly, even though it's sort of you save yourself a lot of money. Um, what would I do? I would, I would, to suggest something, I would actually, Radio 6 last week did a whole day on Kate Bush. And, you yeah. know, Kate, Kate Bush was discovered at the age of 15 where she had already written, including the man with the child in his eyes, at yeah. 15, 50 songs by the age of 15. She's one of the UK's total geniuses. Yeah. I would listen to Hounds of Love. I think it was 85, 86. It was, you know, peak life for me. I was just about to get my company car. Um, actually, there's a song called uh, Hello Earth, which I think is the second last song. If you put that on, in a convertible car on a September dusk evening as the stars are just coming out. It's the closest where I would be completely contented with death. <laughs> if someone said, this is your death row drive, you are going to have be electrocuted by your testicles in half an hour's time. I'd be, I'd be completely happy with all of that, just if I could listen to... Hello Earth by Kate Bush in a convertible Porsche, probably. So everyone should go and listen to The Hounds of Love, the album. But the, and I, I told, I, I, what resonates there, cracking choices, is, is this idea that actually the music so often completes the experience. And if you look back at the experiences, if you hadn't had the music, it wouldn't have been as good, would it? No, it wouldn't. And music is, I think, for, for, for all of us, hopefully, it's been the, it's been the, uh, I suppose the, the story of our lives. You can put every element of your life to music. You remember when you were listening to "Shiny Happy People" by REM, driving around Italy with my now wife, listening to The Cure in a Volkswagen Corrado G60 with no air conditioning. You remember all these very specific moments, and they're all connected to music. Yeah. Spanish. Oh, I create a little wistful um, playlist. I like listening to very, I think, movie-type evocative music. And the, the, the five things I put down, I put the theme tune from Senna, the main theme that you hear when he wins his race in Brazil. Da, yeah. da, da, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I love listening to that in a car. I can be going through the worst bits of Slough, but you listen to that and you're in Sao Paulo, it's a warm evening and you've just conquered the universe and life can't get better than this. Um, I love listening to Bach's Goldberg variations in a car. I just love, I can listen to all of them, but the aria at the beginning, at the end, that's incredible. It makes me feel like Hannibal Lecter, feel I could mm. kill you and eat you. Mm. And it's the most wonderful thing to listen to in a car. Mozart's 23rd piano concerto, the second movement, just the quiet piano. That's just a hot, beautiful summer's day. Even Wait, slow down. I'm trying to write these down. I'm on yeah. a cold here. Let's put on the WhatsApp group after we finish, Manish. Exactly. We, we, we need to get more intelligent by listening oh, to you. Oh, I don't know. You just feel, then from the film Diva, Promenade um, Sentimentale, just again, the simple piano solo get bigger and bigger, breaks your heart. But the perfect collecting cars, wistful piece of music in a car. And I, you must just do it, okay? Is the theme to Un homme est une femme. 
You just da 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 da. da. Basically, oh, I become yeah, yeah. I become Trantignon. I am driving this very cool Ford Mustang, just testing its steering. I keep letting go of the steering wheel at 150 miles an hour just to track it, grab it again. At the end of that is Anouk May. I love her so much. I want to give her a great big kiss, but it doesn't work out because we just love each other too much for the moment to work. So we go our separate ways, and then we're quite far apart and then we just run back together and we just make that <laughs> make just uh, that's uh, what you should listen to in a car <laughs> yeah that's just brilliant that's just brilliant we need to show all of these suggest on under the in the detail stuff on we the will, youtube yeah, we'll, 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 we'll we'll find a way i, 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 I gotta i gotta i gotta be where manage has been that last that, that, that. Um, that last that last where manage i agree that's the great tune but i had a really random uh moment where I had to question what that whether there's a better tune than that for that purpose and it came about in a Top Gear film McGuinness was driving a Mark IV Escort convertible a few years ago and the editor put the most brilliant piece of music we were in Bogner Regis and it, it cuts this lovely long lens tracking shot and it just pulls out from the headlight of this car and you're thinking it's good and it's playing Engelbert Humperdinck's Quando Quando which is just so beautiful and it yes. pulls away from like this light unit, you think it's going to be a 250 short wheelbase or something, then it's the worst car ever made in England. Was it a favorite conversion? It was, it was terrible. No, it was, no, it was no, real. It was, it was one with one. the Targa Bar, yeah. all right, Mark IV. Oh, the Targa, yes, yeah, yes. It was just, well, Targa Bar, because it was so wonky. The juxtaposition of this, of this almost perfect piece of music against the car made me think it, that might be the music for that role but managed that that was i've had an out of body experience listening to you there that was gorgeous yeah. right chris that so how I'm do you follow that it, i can't follow that so i'm going to say meatloaf bad out of hell oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you why it's rite of passage so uh it was a summer i left school yeah. on a levels um and my twin brother and i we before we got into cars and stuff we were really keen on sailing and we were in the national school sailing championships somewhere on a lake in Northamptonshire. and the guy one of the guys from our team is had a wealthy family his mum had a board escort gear thing and he had on this cassette tape and every day going to the lake and going back to the digs at night we play this music and I, I bought the tape after that and the rest of that summer I just played bat out of hell as I was driving like a bat out of hell around leafy Kent where I grew up. And there was every time, and obviously he died, was it last year, before last? Yeah, recently. So and I introduced my boys to it and I said, that was my rite of passage. And every time I listen to it now, all of those tracks, the long version, the proper version of Bad Out of Hell, it's just such a rite of passage. The other one, which is completely, and I can't listen to music now, when I first went, I was in Portsmouth at college, and you and I talked about this. The bloke I was in my first year with, he had an MG midget. And under the seat in the MG Midget, he had a tape player. And in that tape player, he had one track. It was The Chain by Fleetwood Mac. It gets better. He had it keyed up so that when the traffic lights started to go from red to orange, the bass guitar in that piece of the music started to play. And then as he timed, he obviously chose the traffic lights. As the lights went from amber to green, the rhythm guitar started and the rest of it. I can't listen to that music anymore now. He ruined it. So, Rite of Passage and Road to Nowhere were my usual choice. Choices. I mean, Bat Out of Hell is almost up there with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, right? It's another, yeah. I mean, that is seriously underrated tune. Yeah, love it. 
it's, uh, it came up in, uh, in I, was, I was out with a friend in Hong Kong at the weekend. And I, I remember when we used to go back, the night before we went back to boarding school when we were older, we'd go down to a pub in Bristol and all would all go there. We shouldn't have been there. And it was an old jukebox. And that was the first tune you put on because it was so long. It was value. It was VFM, wasn't it? You put your 20p in, yeah. and you got like seven minutes of music. Eight Why minutes, wouldn't eight, eight eight minutes. minutes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had it playing the whole time. Right. Um, as ever, thank you so much for my co-host, Neil Clifford, Manish Pandey, and Chris Cooper. Um, I'm sorry about some of those witterings. They really, if it's too much for you, let us know. Uh, in the comments section, could you please propose some other music that, that might make other people just go, oh, I haven't heard that for ages, because I think they're little nuggets of joy. I've got one other thing to leave with you, and that is that if you've got a company car and you tick the box with the fancy hi-fi, you've got yourself a Burmester or a Harman Kardon or a B&O or a B&W, whatever the, the, the badge they put on it is, Get the thing wound up, stoke her up, stoke the bass up, get the loudness on, play with the equaliser, and then go onto your music streaming service and get a track called Electrified 2 by Yellow. It is the benchmark for, for taking a system to where it can go in terms of bass and just raw noise. It, it's really impressive. You'll enjoy it. Thank you for staying with us and have a lovely week. <laughs> <laughs>